0: May God add his blessing to the reading of the scripture this morning, and may the words from my mouth be what we need to hear. Yes. Okay. I was going to, I was hoping that Erin would be here this morning, because she could attest to what I'm saying, what I'm going to say next. I am a lousy typist. Now, how would Erin know that? Because she probably hears me uh, plunking away on the, on the keyboard, and then she hears me push the button that uh, goes backwards and erases everything I just typed, and then she probably hears me mumble, you know. So she could probably attest to that. My keyboard skills are basic, and they're, while they're functional, I blame it all on the fact that I grew up at the wrong time, or the right time. I see it as the right time. But I grew up before the computer age. And even though at LP High School, they offered a typing course, and I took it, I didn't see it as something that I was going to use in my life after high school. I did not think I would be sitting in front of a typewriter and I certainly didn't think there would be such a thing as a keyboard in front of me every single day of my life, pretty much. And so I took the class, and I sort of got through it. So as a result, I have a lot of stray finger movements when I'm typing on the keyboard, and sometimes I position my hands poorly when I type, especially on the smaller keyboard when I'm using my laptop. That really gives me a little bit of extra trouble. Some disasters have happened to me when one of my fingers has strayed to where it shouldn't be and it hits the insert button, and I'm not one of those people that can look at the screen while I'm typing, so I'm looking down at the keyboard make sure I hit the right buttons, and then every once in a while, I look up, and I have at some point hit the delete or the insert button, and so I've lost a whole bunch of information right in the middle of writing a sermon. And so one minute, I'm rolling along and thinking I'm doing a great job and and making some progress, adding new information and illustrations that I've come across, and and different um, areas of, uh, that I want to use for that Sunday. And then the next moment I look up at the screen and I see that several paragraphs that I just thought I wrote are gone. They've been typed over. And I say, thank God, and I mean that sincerely, thank God for the undo button, because I use that undo button a whole lot, probably more than all the rest of the buttons put together. But using the idea of typing as sort of a comparison, most of the messages of the prophet Isaiah can be seen as inserts, or more or less they kind of flow along after what has happened before. But a few times, it feels like Isaiah hit the delete button. He hit that key on purpose. In chapters 42 and 43 of Isaiah, God speaks through the prophet, announcing a new thing that God is about to do. That new thing then was that the people would be returned from their exile in Babylon. They weren't going to be any longer be held in exile. They were going to be free to go back to their own nation. But today's reading that Larry just shared with us, might be the most dramatic announcement of, of the Bible. God is planning an even newer, new thing. Something so new that just editing it won't be enough. What God has in mind is not just to restore or to return things to the way they used to be, which, as I've talked about recently, Sometimes it's something that we long for. We'd like to see it the way it used to be. Before the exile, in this case. It's such a new thing that the verb that is used here is only used when talking about God in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew Scriptures. In fact, it's the very first verb ever used in the Bible, and it describes God's main activity, and that is creating God is a creator. This new creative act of God is so new and so different that old things will no longer be remembered or come to mind. What are these former things? Is it it's possible that God is saying that the new creative work that is about to happen is so cool that the mighty acts of God from the past will look small compared to this new thing? It's possible but unlikely, I think. Looking at the context, which is important when you read the Bible, you need to just not pick a verse or a passage out and read exactly what it says and take it all literally. You need to look at what happened before, just like reading a book, and what happened after, if you want to get the best understanding of the story. It seems like the things that happened before won't be remembered as former troubles. Things like the defeat and the exile that the people of Israel went through at the hands of the Babylonians. And all the bad stuff that had happened, found in verse 16, which is right before the verse uh, where Larry started off. There have been times when I've been working on a sermon, and it just won't seem to work out right. No matter how many times I work with it, I move words around and phrases and even paragraphs or sections, take some out, add something else, I I just can't seem to get it right that week. I get disappointed and I begin to lose interest in the sermon. And I wonder if I'll get it done in time for Sunday morning, which is every pastor's nightmare that wakes them up in the middle of the night. I've learned that what I really need to do when that happens is to just stop walk away come back a little while later and start over again beginning at the foundation the very foundation of the text which is the message that I want to share for that Sunday when I do that it makes a difference i come up with fresh new ideas and new insights The people that Isaiah chapter 65 was originally written to were living through a long, long nightmare. And even though God's people had been allowed to return from exile, some had chosen not to return. Twenty or more years later, the ones who had returned still faced a lot of problems. The economy, the economic situation was bad. Social obstacles were in their way, and surviving a was a day-to-day struggle, even when they returned to their homeland. As time went on, things did not get better for them. The people were confused. The prophets had all promised them that a new day and a wonderful future was coming after they were freed. Where was this kingdom that was supposed to be set up? They didn't see it. It wasn't restored. The city of Jerusalem was still in ruins. The temple was rebuilt, but it was not yet restored to its former glory, the Scriptures tell us. And so they were disappointed with the situation that they were in. They couldn't seem to get beyond their survival mode to a renewal mode. And most important of all, they were disappointed in God and what God had given them. So to start talking about disappointment in God is a problem. It's a problem for us. It's a problem because so many of the most apparently successful churches or ministries that are out there, especially in modern America, are intentionally and constantly upbeat and positive. And they talk a lot about the victories of Christian living, And how if you'll do this, this, and this, God will reward you and your life will be wonderful. Well, this popular version of the Christian faith isn't always helpful. Because as author Philip Yancey writes, he wrote a book called Disappointment with God. And in this book he says when we're promised and when we expect a huge big dramatic proof of God working in our lives and it doesn't materialize. We don't see it. It always leads us to feeling disappointed, feeling betrayed by God, feeling like God doesn't care as much as we wish that he did. When our experiences in life don't live up to our expectations, we don't get that job. That son or daughter passes away before we do. When things like that happen that we just don't expect, we begin to give up on ourselves, we begin to give up on others, and we even begin to give up on God. Those feelings of disappointment with God happen way more often than we would care to admit. The advice to just try harder doesn't do it for us all the time. And edited more upbeat version of our life isn't what we need. Since a disappointment is with God, only an act of God can help. What we need is a new thing. And God can do that because, as I said earlier, God is a creator. And he will create for us a new thing. So any real newness that could and would come from people who had returned to Judah, would not be of their own doing, no matter how they might have tried back in that day. They couldn't do it on their own. History had proven that over and over again. They had let God down and then blamed him over and over again. And don't point your finger at them, because guess what? We do the same thing. Any newness that happens in the church's future will always be a creation of God. It will be a gift of God. The churches are today in America and throughout the world are changing radically. And there's, this was really, uh, a step, this, the pace was really stepped up when COVID came. And the only way that we're going to see what the future holds, and we're going to see a newness, a new thing within the church is when it comes from God. God is the creator. God will give us that gift. God promises us this. Listen to this gift. This is one we sometimes forget about. A new heaven and a new earth in which the failures and disappointments of the past will be forgotten. Disaster will be replaced with success and joy not disappointment. Our relationship with God will be better than it's ever been. All the old negative things will be no more like they've been typed right over. The language, the word pictures used here don't just talk about the situation with the people of that day, with the exile and restoring the country, but they also talk about when God created humans. Verse 17 reminds us of this verse in Genesis. Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth. The curse of work, the struggle of growing our own food, Larry read for us, will be gone. Sickness and death will be undone. And the first blessing of creation, to be fruitful, will be renewed for God's people. This new thing that God is about to do is really an old thing. It's like going back to the future. Listen, this is just not hopeful, wishful thinking, not pie-in-the-sky stuff. This is what's going to happen. The Hebrew verb, create, in verse 17 of today's reading, and verse 18, is not a future verb. It can be translated as, I am beginning to create. So we can say the new heavens and the new earth that we read about, no, they're not here yet. They're not fully here. But they have begun to show up. What God does hasn't already but not yet. Sort of a feel to it for us. Because we're locked in time and we can't really get, get our brains to wrap around that concept. But the prophet could see it from God's view, which is not the order. We think things should happen. Past, present, and future are all held by God. God. And from God's perspective, they are not isolated events in time, but they're part of a whole plan and a whole purpose. So yes, today's reading is about the future. It should remind us also of what God wants for us right now. The message is meant for here and now. Real-life situation for God's people in the present. New creation, our creator God begins again now. The slate is wiped clean, the old things not to be remembered, and so God's people can move forward into the future, planning for a future that is already planned for them by going back to God's new beginning, going back with a new start. This text is appropriate for us as we come to the end of our stewardship moments this year, as we come to the end of the church year. This is our last Sunday of the church year. A new church year begins with Advent next week. It should lead us. On, take this time, I encourage you, to reflect on God fulfilling his plan and what God's purpose might be for us and for this church this coming year. Let's think about potential. Let's think about possibilities. What we might be able to accomplish. The whole disaster of the exile was explained by the prophets as being, listen to this, the prophets told the people, the reason that you're in this mess that you're in today is because you, God's people, and the political leaders who are in charge of your nation have not realized their full potential as people of God. God's solution is not to leave us on our own or of our own devices. A bit of self-improvement is good, but it won't do it. God doesn't even wait for us to come to our senses and ask for help. You know what he says? He says in verse 24, Before you call, in other words, before you ask, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God takes all the initiative. There's our hope. Only God can fix the mess that God's people have found their way into once again and have done all throughout history. Only God can type over those messy situations that we sometimes make of our lives and give us a fresh start, a new beginning is made available through our faith in God. Faith in Jesus' ministry of healing, freeing, restoring. His death for us X's out, deletes, gets rid of all those former things that make us slaves to fear and disappointment. So don't be disappointed about last year because it didn't go as well as you'd hoped it would. Don't be afraid. The next year will be just as bad or it will be worse. Don't fear those things. Remember that your God is a God of creation and he's always creating a new thing. In Christ, the firstborn, we have fullness of joy. In him, we can imagine, we can think, of the potential of our future for this world that God loves so much and for this church that you love so much. Amen.